0: Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you could find Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. How many of you, uh, by the way, were at the uh, di- uh, worship in the district last night? How many were there? Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? Uh, do you know that the district has told us that there were over 6,000 people at this event? And of course, it was a great time. Uh, look at this. This is before they all got there. Uh, I don't think they've ever had an event this full. And uh, I think we have a shot of Paul singing with the, with the group. Paul was, uh, he was a puddle of sweat when he got done. There was nothing left in him. That's why we had to pull somebody out of the congregation today to finish it up today in our worship. And we thank the Lord for Adam and helping us out today. Just a great time. Many decisions were made. And people asked, this, what do you think of this? Because people raise their hand to trust Jesus. Um, I think of the scripture which says, the foundation of the Lord stands firm, and it has this seal, Second Timothy says, the Lord knows those who are his. And uh, so we know, and God knows, and we trust him for the results of that, but what a great event that was, an outstanding event. So, and I also just noticed, uh, and I want to extend my sympathies to the Booth family, uh, Paul and Paul Sr., uh, our sympathies to you, uh, suffering the loss of your sweetheart and your stepmother as well. And I know it's a difficult time for you, but we are here for you and we'll be praying for you during this time, okay? God bless you so much. Ephesians, if you would please, chapter one, and we are talking about unwrapping God's masterpiece, I have to start, however, with a confession, okay? So every year my kids struggle knowing what to get me for Christmas because I struggle telling them what I'd like or what I need. But it, I, I, I came up with an idea last year. I really, I mean, I've been operating for the last couple of years on a, uh, with a grill that's been on life support for like three years, okay? Got a couple, like two burners are left that work on this grill. But, you know, it's just my wife and I, we work it out that way, you know? And so I said, I could, I could really use a new grill. And you know what? My kids got me a brand new grill for Christmas. And here it is. Here it is right here. <laughs> I took that picture two days ago. That's my confession. Because the other one still works. I mean, not very good, just barely. <laughs> but this is that girl's got all, got everything. It's got it's it's, it's got. I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles. It can serve like 150 people. I'm kidding at it, whatever. But I'll never know all that it can do until I open it up. <laughs> I heard somebody in the first service said, "I'm coming over there to do it." I said, "It worked." I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we're talking about all that we have, say it, everyone, in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 1 says that. It's all that we have in Christ. 27 times, 164 times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul refers to our salvation as in Christ. Okay? And we're talking about all that's wrapped up. And God calls our salvation a great salvation in Hebrews 2. So it's all wrapped up in what we have in Christ. But it has to be opened to be appreciated. And some of you treat your salvation the way I've treated this gift from my kids. I mean, I have it in my possession, but because I haven't opened it, I can't appreciate all that it has to offer and what we're going to do over these next several weeks in Ephesians 1 is explode all of the gifts we have in Christ. And they are, they are magnanimous. They're, they're, they're multifaceted. It's a kaleidoscope, as one theologian puts it, of dazzling lights and shifting colors. Ephesians chapter one verses three through 14, lay out these gifts that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. And I don't assume all of you have this gift. You don't even know what it means to be in Christ yet, but many of you do. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is one single sentence in the Greek. I love that because my teachers growing up are always giving me a bad time for my run-on sentences. And if I would have known Jesus, then I would say I'm just like Paul. But I didn't know Jesus, and I didn't know who Paul was either, but here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose or elected us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, because whom God saves, he changes. Amen? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, right there. Verse verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're going to be unwrapping these many gifts over the next several weeks. And today, four great gifts from the great gift of being in Christ. And here is the very First one. Can you say it with me as I pull it out of the box here? What is the first gift? We're blessed. And you see it there three times. Three times in verse 3. We're blessed. But he's actually, we're blessing the Father for the blessings he's given to us. Look at it. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he says it again in verse 6. Now, I'll be honest, <laughs> excuse me, I'm not always impressed when somebody, when I ask somebody how they're doing and they say, I'm blessed. It's like, what in the world? I think, I mean, I don't want to judge it, but I understand what some people mean when they say, I'm blessed. What they really mean is life is good, marriage is good, kids are good, job's good, health's good, it's all good, I'm blessed. That's not what this means. That is not what this means. This is referring to the spiritual blessings from God. And what if life isn't good? What if your marriage is in the tank? What if the kids are running amok? What if the job's on the line? What if your health is in the tank? Are you, if you're in Christ, are you still blessed? Yes. Good answer. I tested my wife, as some of you know. She's been sidelined. And, uh, and a lot of pain, and, and I was out in a coffee shop studying this message, and I sent her a text. I said, honey, are you blessed? I didn't give her any content. Are you blessed? And here's, here's a screenshot of what she sent back. She gets it. She gets it. This has nothing to do with your circumstances if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, regardless of your circumstances, you are blessed. But note that Paul begins by blessing Father God for having blessed us who are in Christ. Again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. So he's blessing because of his blessing to us. And by the way, the word blessed, the word blessed here is it's, it's the word, we get our word eulogy from this word. <laughs> when you think of a eulogy, you usually think of what? You think of a funeral, Right? That's what you think of. The word eulogy, the word blessed, literally means to speak well of. I mean, have you ever been to a funeral where you, somebody was laying in state, and then you know, you're sitting there going, was that the same person I knew? Because they're saying something. Mm. The word means to speak Well. And we're speaking well of the Father God because he speaks well of us in Christ. Not because of you, but because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. And that's where Paul says in Colossians 3, our life is hid with Christ and God. Great place to be, by the way. So God doesn't look at all of your idiosyncrasies. He doesn't look at all your sins. You do need to seek forgiveness and fellowship with him. But in Christ, you're safe and you are blessed a great place to be. And blessed be the Father. So we speak well of the Father because the Father speaks well of us in Christ. So the next time you talk to a brother or sister in Christ and they say, and you ask them how they're doing, they say, I'm blessed. You ask them, do you bless the Lord regardless of your circumstances? The the hymnist said this, from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof, the name of the Lord is to be what? Praised, regardless of your circumstances. But note the nature. Note the nature of these blessings. Look at it again. He's blessed us in Christ with every, what kind of blessing? Spiritual blessing. That's right. Listen carefully. Spiritual blessings far outweigh the physical ones that we enjoy. The problem is most of us don't think that way. Your spiritual blessings, if you're in Christ, and I never assume everyone here is in Christ. Some of you are out of Christ. Some of you don't know Christ. Some of you need to be saved. But to those of you who are, your spiritual blessings that you have in Christ far outweigh the physical ones, though they are a gift. Would you acknowledge physical blessings are a gift? Of course, because every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variation, no shadow of turning. That's what James says, right? Just the other day, I got a, a communication from a woman whose name I did not recognize at all, but she was speaking to me like she knew me. And one of those, As I read her communication, it was kind of like, oh, now I remember. Have you ever had one of those situations? So what had happened was she, she wrote me to thank me and just bless the Lord and bless me. And uh, as I'm reading it, I remembered the circumstance. It was two years ago. My wife and I were doing a marriage conference in Ohio, and we met this strikingly handsome couple who had, they were equal to, their, their looks matched their love for God. They were just an amazing couple. They loved the Lord. They were young and vibrant, and they were childless, They'd struggled with infertility for several years. And as we talked, I just sensed from God I needed to pray for this woman. I put my arm around her and just cried out to God that he would allow her to be pregnant. And I, it's one of those things where I did it. We went on with the conference, and, you know, we're two years removed, another church, different people. Don't see him anymore. She sent me a thank you with a picture of her, her husband, and their one-and-a-half-year-old. It was a beautiful picture. And, it, and the reason I, is, was that a blessing? Of course it was a blessing. Was it an answer to prayer? Yes, it was an answer to prayer. But I tell you this because in our time with this couple, we had the distinct impression that regardless whether they, God had given them a child or not, they would bless the Lord because they had been blessed in Christ. So here's the first lesson. Lesson number one, we bless God because God first blessed us. Amen? And that's what he's saying. We bless God because he first blessed us. Now, we got to move on to the second. Everything is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. So here's the next one. So in Christ, not only are you blessed, but say it with me, would you please? You're what? You're chosen. Look at my other. Chosen. This is the one that some of us, we you get a little sketchy on this one. You see it there. Look at verse 4. You can't deny it. Even as he chose, that's the word electos, that's the word election we get. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So we're chose. That's where we get our word election. Our English Bibles make it clear enough, do they not, of the timing of the election. It's from before the what? The foundation of the world. Nobody argues when God chooses. It's before the foundation of the world. The problem occurs when theologians start to try to determine when God chooses us and why he chooses us. So some people actually think that God looked down the portals of time, and he saw Pat numbers, and he thought, what a good guy that is. I think I'll choose him. Have you heard anything? ever heard anything so ludicrous in all of your life? I mean, the Bible doesn't affirm that. God doesn't look down the portals of time and see who would choose him and thus choose. That would put it on us, not on God. No, not at all. So while our Bibles give us the timing of God's choosing clear enough, the Greek actually provides a deeper nuance here. The Greek is what we call, the Greek word chosen is in the middle voice. The middle voice is a voice which basically says the subject is is acting upon itself. In other words, it means to choose out for oneself, to choose out for oneself. In other words, listen carefully, there is no cause in the object chosen that prompts the one choosing. That's the idea here. There's no cause, key word here, key word, cause, cause, get that in your head. There's no cause in the object chosen that prompts the one choosing. And this is where we struggle because that's not how you and I relate. That's not life to you and me. There's always cause for the people we bring in our life, right? I don't bring anybody into my life without cause. And we choose our future spouses because of their beauty Because of their intelligence, because of their character, because of their spirituality, because of their friendliness, because of their fun. And we bring them in. There's cause. We choose our employees based on their competency, on their chemistry, on their capacity, on their experience, on their wisdom. And bosses are are constantly filling important positions for all the reasons above which have already been mentioned, including things like humility and wit. Uh, What we do, bosses, we we examine the, the, the candidate for a position. We read the referrals. We interview them. We make phone calls. We take it a couple steps further. We interview again because everybody wants that second interview, right? And then we choose. It's all about cause. We see none of the above with God in salvation, none. That's why it's so counterintuitive of us. In fact, just the opposite. Let me show you a couple of instances here. Deuteronomy 7, look at this. God talking about his choosing of Israel. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. That would be a cause and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you and is in keeping, is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Sounds like circular reasoning, but when it comes to God, he can do that. Why did I love you? Because I did. That's why. Okay, good enough. Let's go to another passage, one more familiar, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what it says. For consider your calling, brothers, Paul writing to the Corinthians. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. These are all, what? Causes. But God has chosen just the opposite. What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What? God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Huh? Huh? God chose what is low and despised. Not, these aren't causes that cause us to choose anybody. Even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are why. I'll tell you why. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why. You want one more? You got it. Romans chapter 9. Talk about Isaac, uh, or rather Jacob and Esau. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works or not because of a cause, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is so counterintuitive to you and me. We always have cause that goes along with our choices. And I thought about this long and hard. I said, God, would you please give me an illustration that would hear on terra firma that would somehow relate? There there isn't a perfect one, but this is the best I can do. How many of you have ever heard the name Tim Tebow? Raise your hand. Okay, Not quite a household name, but a lot of us know who he is. Great collegiate football player, Heisman Trophy winner, had a a little stint in the NFL, didn't last very long, went into baseball. That didn't go so well. So why do we love Tim Tebow? Why do we know about him? Because he's the real deal, that's why. Because he's a man without guile. Because he truly loves the gospel. He truly loves Jesus. And every year, and this has been going on for seven years now, every year, now hundreds of churches across the United States are doing this. Tim Tebow's foundation takes special interest in those who are mentally and physically impaired and gives them what none of them ever experience otherwise in life, a prom night. They buy new dresses. They get their hair done. They dress them to the nines. They take them out to eat. And they take them to a dance. And when we see things like this, Tim Tebow and this mentally challenged little girl, what do we do? You know what you do you smile. You might even shed a tear. None of us see something like this and say, I can't believe he passed over all those other mentally challenged girls to take her. We don't think like that. We say, Wow, how magnanimous, how wonderful of Tim Tebow to love people like this. Is that not true? And that's the best I can do to bring home to you what it means for God to choose you. Because in spite of the fact that we can look at something like that and say, how wonderful, how beautiful. Nevertheless, some of us will shake our fist at God who has chosen us from eternity past, those who will dance with him forever. And we get mad. Rather, we should bless him that he would choose any of us. And By the way, this is the, this is the, this to choose or to elect is always, the, the phrase elect is always, this is a very important little distinction here. It's always used in a positive way. Always use in a positive way, and that's the reason why I have always rejected the theological jargon "limited atonement." Limited atonement is uh, basically it's a negative argument for what is believed to be the limited number of souls for whom Jesus died. So the argument goes like this: Why would Jesus waste his precious blood on those he has no intention to save? I get the argument. But that's where you have to set your... It doesn't hold up with Scripture. The Bible resides over our theology, or so it should. Amen? The Bible never speaks like that, ever. It never declares God's elective salvation with negative logic. When it comes to election, it's always affirming. It's always positive. It's saving. Let me give you a couple of examples. Luke chapter 18. Look what it says here. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, or night and day? Will he delay long over them? Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit to the obedience for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And even though the word election isn't used here, the same concept is here. When the Apostle Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 13, it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life, what? They believed. So this, so lesson number one is we bless God because what? He first blessed us, right? Here's lesson number two. We choose God because he first chose us. God is always the first cause of everything, doing things without cause except for his eternal love. Thirdly, in Christ, we are, and this is where things get even more dicey. Say the word. Predestined. You like that word? Do you like that word? Verse 5, in love he predestined us. So what's the difference between election and predestination? Well, some would say not much. I mean, it is true that some scripture seems to use them interchangeably, almost synonymously. It seems like they're indistinguishable, leaving some theologians to say, these are distinctions without a difference. But words have meaning, and God uses both words, and I think there is a distinction here, and we ought to know it because it's going to be practical in your life and in mine. So predestined. Let's just look at the meaning of the word. This word predestined means to mark out beforehand. That's what it means. Remember that, to mark out beforehand. Literally, the Greek says before the horizon, okay? And it's actually, I think we have a good Almost definition, kind of, in this section itself. Look at verse 11 where it says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, there's the word again, according to the purpose of him, and here it is, who works all things, that's what I would underline if I were to underline in my book. who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works all things. If predestined means to mark out before him, that means God is working in the all things. So here it is. Election is God's pick. One time, eternity passed, okay? Predestination is God's path. And predestination, because he's working all things, has everything in it. It has life. It has death. It has victory, it has losses, it has joy, it has sorrow, it has a spirituality and sin. Do you like to be sinned against? Do you like people to hurt you? Do you like difficulty to, to come into your life? Do you like it when somebody you love dies in your arms? I've had that happen. No! You don't like it and neither do I. But if we understand that God is in control, in predestinating and working all things after the counsel of his own will, we can give him the glory. That's what we can do. If God has picked out from eternity past all who will know him and even laid out all of our paths, where does, by the way, where does human responsibility come in then? And this is the very place where some of us fall off our theological cliffs. If we end up thinking that our responsibility, our human Will our personal choices, even our prayers, play no bearing in the outcome? Then we end up being like the guy who came up to a flight of stairs, fell down, rolled all the way down, got up, dusted himself up, and went, I'm glad that's over with. That's called fatalism or determinism, which takes out all responsibility, not just silliness. And we know that silliness because we know from the scripture that God's sovereignty and our responsibility are in juxtaposition. They're side by side with one another. They're both taught. But in the end, God's determined will, by way of predestination, will prevail. And that gives me encouragement to know that God is is in control and not me. Listen carefully. Your life No matter what you're going through right now, your life is not a happenstance. And here is a beautiful illustration, by the way, of how God works through predestination at the moment of salvation. Do you remember Lydia in in the book of Acts? Lydia, the seller of purple? Lydia, remember her? So here comes Paul. He comes into Philippi. There's not enough guys to run a synagogue, so he goes down to the water's edge. He finds a bunch of women worshiping, and he preaches to them. Watch how her salvation is described. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Look at that, side by side. God opened her heart, and she accepted that's why there is always personal responsibility. I, and I know what some of you are thinking. If, if, if God's purpose in salvation involves predestination and that path, the path of predestination can be, it can be ugly. It can be hard. It can be sinful. It can involve great loss. Then how is predestination, how is this a gift? How is that a gift? How is it a gift if it means that this path that God works all things after the counsel of his own will, how is this a gift? Let me give you the answer to that. It's a gift because the way maker of the path walks with us. And no matter what you're going through, God reminds you that if you're in Christ he says child paths lead to places and your eternal place in Christ is the place we call heaven and while we want we we want a little bit of heaven while we're here on earth and who could blame us it's not going to happen until it does and When I realize that no matter what I'm going through, the Lord Jesus walks with me, the one who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that is a gift. Would you agree? That's a gift. Fourthly and finally, in Christ, you are, we got to get this one in, don't we? You're what? You're loved. You see in verse 5. In love, he predestined us. God didn't just predestine you, if you know him. He did it like he does everything else, in love. And that is why, brethren, that is why I tell everyone I share Jesus with, without uh, without equivocation, without doubt, I look at them and I say, God loves you. I say that with great confidence. God loves you. And let me tell you why I'm so confident of that. No matter where you're at. I mean, I'm I'm as Calvinistic as the next guy. Well, anyway. You remember the rich young ruler? Remember that guy? Matthew 19, Luke 17, I think. Or rather, I know Mark talks about it as well, but... Um, here's Rick, Rick Trung, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, "What, master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember Jesus does? He, goes, he gives them the 10 commandments, not all of them, but he gives them a bunch of them. And he says, check, 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 done it, done it. I'm good to go. What else do I need to do? And Jesus purposely, of course, leaves out the one thing, his covetousness and uh we put this up a little earlier than I wanted to, but there it is. Mark records that the rich young ruler looked at Jesus and walked away. He did not accept Jesus. Mark records that Jesus, looking at him, said, it. That's not the word phileo, friendly love. That's the word agapao, agape love. That's the... God-so-loved-the-world kind of love. Say, what are, you, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Did Jesus love this lost man who ended up rejecting him? The answer is yes, he did. Yes, he did. However, the love spoken of in verse 5 is the love of God directly connected To those he has chosen and predestined. The question is, will you love him back? Because in the end, we bless God because he first what? Blessed us. We choose God because he first what? Chose us. And much more familiar from 1 John 4, we love God, the third lesson. Because he first loved us. He's always the first cause, right? Elizabeth Elliot, now with the Lord, had a radio program called Gateway to Joy for many years. You can still listen to it. And in fact, I encourage every woman to listen to Elizabeth Elliot's uh, messages that she would teach on the radio. She was the, a widow. Her husband was a missionary who was martyred uh, at the ha- hands of the Warani uh, Indians in Ecuador. Godly woman. She had this radio broadcast, and, she, I, and I, would, I wouldn't even have to listen to the broadcast. I would just want to hear her say her opening words, and that would be enough for me. Because she sewed together two passages of Scripture from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, and she would start every single program with this. She would say, you are loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms. What a beautiful expression. You are loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So dear child of God in Christ, no matter what's happening in your life, run to God. His arms are strong. His heart is big. He loves you. And regardless of your circumstances, you can bless the Lord because you have already been blessed. Amen? For those of you who don't know him, you're not in Christ. You're still outside of Christ. This is the only safe place for you to be, is to be in Jesus. And if you understand that, then you need to know this. God doesn't have to prove that he loves you. He sent his own son to die for you, to be buried, to rise again from the dead, all for you because of his love for you. But you have to accept that love. You've got to open up that gift. A gift that's offered that isn't opened is not really much of a gift unless it's received. And it's as many as received him. To them, God gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Will you believe today? You have to acknowledge your sin and place your faith in Jesus, and then come into the strong, omnipotent arms of God who will take you one day from the path to the place where the dancing never ends. Amen? God, we love you and thank you for your word and for this passage of scripture and for this great theology of salvation. I pray that even the visual aspects would help us and help our children that are watching online or here in this service. That we would glorify you for all that you have done in your son Jesus. And all of us who are in Christ would revel in our great salvation with the knowledge of it and the security that we have in you. I do pray, Lord, for those who are here in this room, who are still outside of Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. They would be sorry for their sin, recognize their need for the one who died and rose again for them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Do you believe what you just sang? As we go back to that bridge, I want you to see it, and I want you to read it, and I want you to ask yourself, do I really believe that? That's not just some creative artist who came up with some great lyrics. Listen to what Job said, and most of you know what Job was going through. Listen to his own words. And his own frustration. And see if you can relate to this. Behold, he says, I I go forward, but God is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, and then this, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I don't see him. Do you see what Job is doing? He's exactly where you and I are when things are difficult, when things are hard. That's when our theology, that's good theology, has to come into play. Because we don't always see God. We don't always perceive God. We don't always see his hand. Can I get an amen? And we wonder, where are you, God? But Job, even though this was going on in his life, nevertheless, never doubted God was working, even though he didn't see him working. Listen to it again. I go back. I go forward, you're not there, backward, I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I don't behold him. So even though he's in a real funk, just like you and I can be, Nevertheless, he doesn't doubt that God is working. How cool is that? And that's why he can say, and he could conclude this with his more famous words, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold from the path to our eternal place. Amen? So now, sing this bridge like you really believe.